Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast. Today we bring you the Sunday Sermon from Christ Table on August 8, 2021. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, today's sermon is on the topic of what happens if the healers stop healing. It comes from the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Let's dig in. Today, I want to take a few moments to reflect on one of the most difficult subjects that I've ever addressed. And for that reason, this may well be the most divisive message that I've ever given. But no matter your opinion, I hope that you'll hang with me until the end. I promise to be fair and balanced. I want to talk today for just a moment about COVID-19 and the Christian response to it. I believe that we can all agree that it would be better if all the followers of Jesus Christ were united on the matter of one heart, of one mind, and of one opinion on how to respond to COVID. But we're just not. And now we find ourselves more than a year and a half in, obviously and deeply divided on how to respond to the crisis of the pandemic. You know, this morning, I'd love to confront that division head on, if you'll allow me. I believe that God wants us to be together on this, if we can. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I believe we still have a responsibility to accomplish that, if we can. And I still have faith that we can all eventually come together on this. But right now, we're deeply and fairly evenly divided. A few months ago, the highly respected Pew Research Center found that 45% of white evangelical adults were not going to be vaccinated. 45%. That number amounts to 14 million people refusing the vaccine or essentially a whopping 14% of the entire U.S. population. 14% of the U.S. population, all white Christian evangelicals, refusing the vaccine. That 45% doesn't include those on the fence. That 45% is made up of those who have firmly and concretely decided against it for now. With those incredible numbers, if this group of white evangelical Christians alone chose to receive the vaccine, it would have a staggering impact on the ability of the disease to stop its spread, to stop infecting others, and to stop harming others. Just white Christian evangelicals alone could single-handedly put the nation within reach of herd immunity. Think about that for just a moment. But I want to pause here and say, I understand. I really sincerely do. There are hesitancies, concerns, 
Our decision has been political for many of us, and it's tough to part ways with our politics and and think for ourselves. And for many of us, we we have fears, legitimate fears. There there are conspiracy theories that can be extremely tough to navigate in a time where we deeply distrust our leaders and a lot of that distrust is is well deserved. And there's been a lot of seemingly conflicting medical advice, unfortunately, and that complicates it. Some of us, myself included, have family medical issues, which could make getting the vaccine riskier for us than for the average Joe. And if there weren't all of that going on behind the scenes in the background, there's still just the plain and simple unknowns that come in a worldwide pandemic like this one. It can be easy to, to stall out and to not be able to clearly see the right thing to do, or at least the right thing to do for us. What is the right thing to do for me? What may be right for you might not be right for me, right? I mean, I have to make my own decision here and you have to make your own decision. I mean, isn't freedom the foundation of our nation as well as being the foundation of our faith? The right to choose, right? So many have chosen to not consider the vaccine, the cons outweighing the pros in their minds. One person won't matter that much, right? But 14 million 14 million people matter. Now, I've been addressing many of these concerns online over the last year and a half, and perhaps you've seen it, and it's it's not been easy. I've been unfriended. I've been blocked. I've even been cussed, believe it or not. Just over the last few days, I've been called arrogant. I've been called ignorant. I've been said to be following the ways of the world. I've been called a, a woke pastor. It's been said that I'm leading people down a highway to hell, and the list goes on and on and on. And Let's be honest. I've probably been all of those things in, in one moment or another. I'm, I'm not perfect. Ask Sally. She's somewhere around here. She'll tell you I'm not perfect. I'm just a guy who knows a lot about God and is trying to help others know God as best as I can. And I didn't really deserve to be called all of those things, I suppose, or to have those things said about me. But you know, we've entered a day and age where we interpret any division or where we interpret any alternate opinion as being divisive. And some people just generally dislike debate. They just don't like it. I see you out there, my Enneagram dives. You like peace. Peace is a lot more comfortable. And and I can understand that it can be uncomfortable at times to disagree. And it is especially uncomfortable if you find yourself in disagreement with your pastor, with your minister, with an authority figure in your faith tradition. You know, I haven't always been a pastor. And I remember how uneasy it was when I realized I didn't quite see eye to eye with my pastor. It was uncomfortable. And you know what I did when that happened? Well, first I took it to the Bible and I took it to prayer. And oftentimes I took a lot of time to simmer and reflect. And sometimes I even took it to the pastor. Sometimes they'd change. Sometimes I'd change. 
Sometimes we were just on opposite sides of whatever it was. It shouldn't be that uncomfortable to find that you and your minister don't quite see eye to eye. You know, pastors are supposed to disagree with you on occasion. Ministers are called to challenge here or there, to to push you out of your comfort zones at times. You know, it's been the job of the clergy to debate the moral, ethical, and, and God-centered positions on topics in the world since, well, since forever. Even in the Bible, it was the job of the clergy, rabbis, prophets, to debate and point people to the scriptures, to point people to God and away from ideas filled with errors that had taken root in their societies and had taken root in their souls. But I get it. We don't like to be confronted. We don't like to be confrontational, especially with clergy. But it's part of the job description at times. And to be honest, most clergy don't like it either. We have strong feelings about mass. I understand. We have strong feelings about vaccines. I understand. And that seems to come out in our online conversations a lot. But as Americans, we have even stronger feelings about personal freedom and not being told what to do or how to think. Individualism runs deep here, very deep. And perhaps that's the root of the issue. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is fierce American individualism is perhaps our greatest strength as a nation and maybe our greatest weakness. It may well be that American individualism is our original sin as a nation. Now, why is individualism potentially a sin? Now, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. It puts self first. It puts the individual first. Individualism thinks of self before thinking of anything else and makes decisions based primarily on self more than anything else. Jesus had a lot to say about that. Perhaps the strongest statement on the matter of self and individualism came in the form of the second commandment. The first one, you may know, love God. But then Jesus said the second commandment is just as important as the first, and this is it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Now, we all think that we understand that statement from Jesus, but I'm not so sure that we really do. Honestly, I'm not so sure that I fully do, but I'm trying desperately to understand it and to live it out because it was really important to Jesus and many in Jesus' day thought that they were living it out too, but they weren't. Like the guy that asked Jesus the question in the first place that led to that verse. You see, Jesus gave that statement to an expert in religious law, a lawyer, who wanted to know how to get in good with God. But when Jesus said, yeah, that's really simple. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, if not more. 
When Jesus said that, the guy actually wants clarification. Of course he wanted clarification. He was a lawyer, but also he didn't really want to love anyone that he didn't have to absolutely love. He had a list of people that was categorized. People that I love, people that I mostly kind of like, and people that I could pretty much do without. And you and I shouldn't be too hard on them, really. You have one of those lists, and I have one of those lists, too, if we're being honest. We all do. So, who's my neighbor? He asked. He wants it clarified. And in response, Jesus tells a story. And I love when Jesus tells a story in response to a question, because we pretty much know that the questioner is fishing for a specific answer that Jesus was just going to outright avoid giving. So here's the story in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest comes along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then, Jesus says, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, Jesus asked, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man, well, he replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Go and do the same, Jesus says. Go and do. The Samaritan didn't have to act. The Samaritan didn't have to help. He was under no compulsion to do so. He had the freedom to help, and he also had the freedom to not help. In fact, it was actually safer for the Samaritan to follow the other religious people's examples and ignore the man. But instead, the Samaritan risks himself. The Samaritan sets aside his valid concerns for his safety, and he shows the word Jesus uses here is compassion. Compassion. He shows compassion and mercy. Go and do the same, Jesus says. You can't be a neighbor 
without doing something. I'm not sure if you realize it, but this is a healthcare story that Jesus tells. And it's found only in Luke, who himself, Luke, was a physician. So it's no surprise that Dr. Luke includes this healthcare story in his book about Jesus, who is the great physician. Healing others is important to Jesus. Healing others is so important to Jesus, in fact, that it brought Luke himself to Jesus. In effect, Luke desired that followers of Jesus would become healers themselves, that the healed would take responsibility for healing others. Love your neighbor. But Luke also tells us that the lawyer didn't really want to do that. Didn't want to be a part of helping or healing others. Luke actually tells us that the lawyer asks, who's my neighbor? Because, and here's the reason, the man wanted to justify his actions. He had decided that certain people weren't worth his going the extra mile. Certain people weren't worth putting himself out, and certain people weren't worth putting himself at risk. He wasn't going to risk himself for others. This lawyer was a religious leader. And in Jesus' story, not one, but multiple religious leaders avoid caring for someone with a medical need. What happens if the healers refuse to help. Jesus is essentially saying here that it is absolutely unfathomable that someone who follows the way of God would not do everything within their power to help others, to protect others, even at their own personal risk or peril. And that is a clutch difference in the way of Jesus, and the way of all other faith ways. Jesus says you, yes, you, you put yourself in harm's way to help and protect others. Your body's no longer your own. By choosing to show compassion, by choosing to stop and help, the good Samaritan was putting himself in great danger. This was a very dangerous stretch of road called the Adjumim, or translated, the way of blood. And clearly, there were bandits around who were not above doing great harm. And so, the religious people who passed by it, well, they could be said they inflicted harm on the man by not caring for their neighbor in need. As Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Philippi, instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. I get it. This idea is radical. This idea is revolutionary. This idea is countercultural and even counterintuitive. This is the idea. This is a core tenant of Christianity, loving others more than self. And it flies in the face of fierce American individualism. In a sense, 
what Jesus is doing here is setting a standard for his followers that in this way is anti-American. And here, that's a good thing because it forces us to push down our own needs in order to put the needs of others first and foremost. And let me be clear, somewhere around 45% of white Christian evangelicals may be at risk of not putting others first or foremost yet. But I have hope that a better understanding of the way of Jesus will radically change that percentage. I understand there are risks. There are concerns. There are fears and unknowns. You have them. I have them too. But how do we hold on to those individual concerns in one hand and then respond to the Jesus who clearly said things like, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Said that back in Matthew 16. Or what about this? There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus was simply continuing God's long-standing plan of the radical care of others, the revolutionary thought of putting others first when he said those things. It's not natural to do that, which is why we have to keep being reminded that we have to do that, that there's no other option. Like in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, the prophet, taught that this was what God said, woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. You have not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick or bound up the injured. So I can confidently say the way of Jesus is the way that takes every possible means of protecting others in times like these. Masking up, vaxxing up, and taking care of those who become sick. It's our job. You say, but Pastor Kevin, I, I still have some objections. I, I still have some concerns. I'm still unsure of the risks. I understand it. And that's okay. I'm not telling you what to do here. The question is though, are you really unsure about the risk to yourself? Or are you unsure about the risk to others? Because the risk to others, when we don't do due diligence and take precautions, the risk to others is pretty clear. The risks to others are, are absolutely clear. People are dying, y'all. Lots of people are dying. And like that man lying on the side of the road in Israel 2,000 years ago, many religious people are simply walking by, shrugging and saying, it's not my problem. Jesus said, no, 
that man, it's your problem. What are you going to do about it? Jesus doesn't tell him what to do. But Jesus does say, what are you going to do about it? We can't be pro-life unless we're pro-life for all lives. We can't say all lives matter unless all lives matter. Those small objections and concerns and questions and unknowns that we have, we need to balance those out and see, do they outweigh Christ's call for radical sacrifice for others? Does our cons list outweigh the unmistakable, overarching command of Jesus to care for others? Encapsulated in three simple words. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor more than yourself. Love your neighbor more than the rest of the world. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor more than your worry or your fear. Love your neighbor with a radically self-sacrificing love. Love your neighbor, not just in word, but in how you live. Love your neighbor by wearing a mask if you're able. Love your neighbor by getting the vaccine if you're able. Love your neighbor by not allowing politics, false data, or fears to rule your life. Whether or not you get the vaccine, it's time for us to do the right thing, Christians. It's time for us to be good Samaritans that would so desperately fill the world's needs that we would radically give our lives for others. The world needs to see those type of Christians again. It's time. It's time for us to show the radical love of Christ to the world by putting our communities first. That may mean we have to swallow some concerns. It may mean we have to swallow some fears. It may also mean that we have to eat some of our own words. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And one short thing before Maggie comes back and and blesses us again with song. As something of an expert on data and research, I want to encourage you to not listen to anything or anyone that tries to tell you about the pandemic or mass or vaccines unless it's backed up by peer-reviewed published medical journals. Peer-reviewed medical journals. There are a lot of lies out there on the internet and Facebook posing as the truth. It's hard to believe, I know. I've heard that the vaccine interacts and alters your DNA. That's false. I've heard that the vaccine contains aborted fetus cells. That's false. I've heard that the vaccine is untested, unapproved, unsafe. It's false, false, and false. We've even heard that the pandemic is God's will and that God will decide whether or not people live or die. It's not only false, it's, it's bad theology. 
So how do we tell the difference between things that are true and things that are false? Well, in the science world, we turn to peer-reviewed medical journals. Peer-reviewed medical journals are, are like the Bible for science. Thanks be to God. Today's message has been brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to find out more about us, visit www.christtable.today. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have already dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation. Our mission, it's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us over at Christtable.today. And when you get over there, be sure to sign up for our email list. And for those who choose to donate, well, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. Trust me, you're going to like it. And by the way, this broadcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. I want to invite you to join us during the week as we continue a step-by-step study through the book of Ephesians. And if you'd like to watch those Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about how you can do that over at www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for joining us. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is Christ's Table.today.